we are going to start looking at Barnabas today. And this is, I'm excited about this. I haven't really done a character study like this that I can recall. Maybe a sermon here or there, but never a series looking at one person. And as I said last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, Barnabas is this character who truly deserves his own spinoff. You know, he, he, he's a background character in other people's stories. He's the sidekick character in other people's stories. And yet, his story is really great too. And we're going to be in the book of Acts throughout this five weeks because that's where Barnabas is. It's possible, we think, you know, some people think that maybe the book of Hebrews we don't know who the author was. Some say it was Paul. Some people think maybe Barnabas. Some have other guesses. But we know what he does in Hebrews. And he doesn't really speak a lot either. We don't have a lot of the things he says. Time and time again, it's conversations he's having or things that he's doing that obviously he spoke, but we don't even get the words from him. But we're introduced to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, and that's where we're going to begin today. And this, this passage, Acts chapter 4, neat and interesting things are going on. Peter and, and John have uh, been arrested and, and have been tried and they've been released. And, and, and the church is excited about what's gone on in their lives. That, that Peter and, and John stood up to the Sanhedrin and gave a proclamation of who Jesus is. And they kept their faith and so there's excitement in the church, and the church is growing, and people are coming together, and, and they're excited about the signs and wonders that are taking place. And so this is the, the context, and, and we, we begin in verse 32, and we're told the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds to, of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now, if you're thinking this isn't a passage that gets preached a lot in America, you're probably right. In fact, one of the, things I re one of the reasons why I think Barnabas kind of gets overlooked is that passage and then chapter 5. We always kind of go to chapter 5, verse 1. But Ananias. People are very familiar with Ananias and Sapphira. And Barnabas just kind of gets missed. This passage, and some people will take this, 32 through, what, 35 it was, and they'll say, see, we're not supposed to have any personal property. We're all supposed to just be sharing common property. That's not what's going on. This wasn't a socialist experiment. This was not an experiment of sharing everything. What this was, was the church. Uh, remember, the church began on Pentecost in Jerusalem, and you had a lot of people who are from out of town, just like they do for the celebration of uh, Passover and for the tabernacles. They come together for the celebration. 
and they hear the message of Jesus Christ resurrected, they see the power of the Holy Spirit, thousands come to faith in a day. And so, all, they, all these people, they just kind of stay. Some of them live there in Jerusalem, some of them live in Judea, but some of them are still from out of town. And they just stay, and they're growing in their knowledge, they're growing in the Holy Spirit, they're loving one another, but it's unsustainable. You can't just do that. You know, somebody's got to go harvest a crop. Somebody's got to go make some food. Somebody's got to go make some money to pay for things. And so what's happening is as they're in this time, they're so excited that some people are selling what they have. I've got a house I can sell. I don't need the house anymore. I've got some land I'm not using, or I've got land I am using, but I I can sell it. Part of this is they think this is a short-lived experience. You know, they're looking and saying, well, when Jesus comes back, who's going to need anything anyway? But part of it also is, is that they are living out, and, and what this is supposed to be as, as far as Luke is writing, it's a picture of God's ideal for His people. The church was living out God's ideal for His people. And, and so they're, they're, they're pointing to the fact that, that things are going right Things are going well. This is what God wants to have happen, and He's blessing them. And one of the signs of that is how they're taking care of one another, and specifically, that there will be nobody within among them who has any needs. They, they, they all were, were of one. They, nobody claimed that anything belonged to Him was His own. Now, that doesn't mean that they said, oh, it's not mine. No, they just said, it is mine, but it's not for me to keep to myself. It's mine to bless other people. This wasn't a, a, a long-range thing. Just a couple of chapters later, when Peter is released from prison by the power of an angel, he goes to Mary's house. She's got a servant girl. He knocks on the door. The servant girl comes and talks. Mary still had a servant. Right? She didn't give up all her monies where she couldn't even afford to have a servant girl in her house. She still owned her house. She still had a servant. But she used her house for the good of the church. The church came and prayed there. And so what we're seeing is not a, a, a guidance for all time. What we're seeing is a, a sign that says, look, at this moment, the church was really doing good. This was the epitome of God's ideal for His people. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, the, in talking about the Sabbath year, uh, God told the people that they were not to have any poor among them in the land that they were taking them to. Now, it's kind of interesting that he would say that because what we'll read is in verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 15, beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing, then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. He's saying, don't, don't get to the point where you're focused on the fact that the seventh year is coming. See, every seven years was a Sabbath year, and you were supposed to not plow your fields, you were just supposed to lay them fallow. And if somebody had debts, you were supposed to let them go. And so he's saying, don't have this attitude of, oh, it's the seventh year and, oh, that guy still owes me. No, don't be hostile to them. Instead, what does he say in verse 10? You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this 
thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. And, and earlier in, in a few verses, he had just said, there won't be any poor. That, that you're going to be so prosperous that you're going to be able to help one another out. But now he says, look, there's always going to be poor in the land. And Jesus even says this once when, when uh, Mary is you know, preparing him for his death and his burial. And Judas is upset and says, oh, we could have sold that perfume. We could have made some money. We could have given it to the poor. And Jesus says, you're always going to have the poor. Don't, don't fault her for this good thing that she has done. The poor is all, will always be there, but the focus is that the people of God should take care of one another. That you shouldn't be, as a, as a, as a Christian, eating well and living well, and you have another Christian who can't put food on the table. That's not cool. That's not good, is what he's saying. That we should be helpful to one another. And, and when the church is doing what it's supposed to, when it has a heart for one another and it's loving one another and they're of one heart and one soul taking care of each other, God is blessing it. And that's the picture, that they are taking care of one another, that they love one another, that they're not cold-hearted to each other or hard-hearted to each other. But they're delighting in following God. And, uh, and so that's what this passage there, these first few verses, that's what it's showing is that idea of the ideal God had for His people. What He wanted them to do. Now, did they do it? The evidence seems to be that the Israelites really struggled to do that whole Sabbath year. And then every seventh Sabbath had a, you know, the, the 50th. Now you added the year of Jubilee. And there's no evidence that they ever celebrated the year of Jubilee. And so to have the church Living out that way is kind of it's a it's a prophetic way of saying, see, they're doing it right. They're following God. They're honoring him and he will bless them for it. And it's it's within that context of that passage that we get two examples. And just think, you know, it was lots of people doing it, selling houses, selling homes, uh, selling property, but we only get two examples. The, the first one is in verse 36, and we're going to go ahead and read both examples real quick. Uh, 36, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, we don't hear a thing from him. We just get a little bitty boop. And what do we do? Because our Bible has been split up into chapters and verses, our eyes immediately go to chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Same action. Sold a piece of property. And kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? And so here again, it wasn't 
there was no obligation that if you owned property, you had to give it up and give the money to the apostles. It was a free choice. Each person freely of their own volition decided, I'm going to do this to help the church out. And that's what Peter is saying. It was yours. The property was yours. Even after you sold it, what, what you made off of the property was yours. It was yours to do with as you pleased. So why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And, and in fact, he says to him, why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. See, so don't just give 5%, give the whole 10 that's not the message. No, that's not the issue. The issue is, is that Ananias was claiming this is everything. We find out about that because later on his wife comes in and remember he did it with her full knowledge and Peter asks her what was the price of the land? Was it such and such a price? And she says, yes it was. It wasn't the amount of money. It wasn't the fact that they didn't have to give it all. It was the fact that they kept a portion back, but tried to claim it was everything. They were trying to claim they were fully committed, but they were only given 80%. Or maybe they were only given 50%. We don't know. The, the point was, is they had just shown up and said, hey, we sold some land. Have some of, the, sale, have some of the, the profit from it. They would have been fine. What was wrong wasn't their deciding we're only going to give a portion. What was wrong was their lying about it. That they were trying to claim we've done, we've given it all when they hadn't. And now, Barnabas, only two examples were made for Acts. One is a negative example, one is a positive example, and Barnabas is the positive example. Barnabas is the one uh, of all the people from the first few verses there in verse you know, 34 when it talks about the owners, all who were owners of land, all who were owners of land would sell the house or sell, sell the land and give the proceeds to the, the, to the apostles. But when it comes down to giving us an example of all those people. Barnabas is the one who's given. Now, part of this is because Barnabas is going to become more important as we go through the book of Acts, and Luke likes to introduce somebody early. Uh, in chapter 6, he talks about Stephen. He mentions Philip. And then sure enough, Stephen becomes a big person. He becomes the first martyr. And then after he's martyred, Philip becomes prominent. Later on, when uh, that story where... Uh, Peter escapes prison by the help of the angel and comes to Mary's house. Luke tells us Mary was the mother of John Mark. Just a little, we don't need to know that. It doesn't change the story in any way. Why does she do it? Because John Mark's going to show up later. He's going to become more important in the story. And so Luke likes to do that. He likes to put somebody out there in a brief little intro and then later on, oh, we already know about them. You know, it's a little bit less of the 
God in the machine type of an idea where the, an important character just shows up halfway through a movie and you're like, where was this person early on? So Barnabas is mentioned early, but also he sits as an example of all the others. And remember this, giving, their, their, um, giving the, the money that they made off the sell of the land and taking care of the poor, this was, this was living out the ideal of what God wanted for His people. And as, as Barnabas does this, he just sells the land, brings the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. Now he's laying it at the apostles' feet is a picture of giving it to God. The apostles are the representatives of God in this context. They're the, the leaders of the church. He's handing it over to them for them to use for God's glory. Now, if Ananias is a, a negative example, an example of selfishness, an example of what we don't want to do as we come together as the people of God to, to lie about the things that we're doing. So much better to say, I, don't, I just don't, I, this is all I can do. I just don't have the faith or I don't have the trust or I don't have the, the desire. Better to do that and to be honest. God can work with honesty. Well, in truth, we can all just work with honesty, right? If you get the truth, you can work with it. Even if the truth is negative, even if the truth is hard, at least we can deal with it. To be told this is the condition within your body, you don't like to hear it, but at least now you can work with it. But if somebody tells you a lie and they say, you're healthy when you're not, well, you're just going to keep on operating as if you were healthy. That's not, that's not kind. We can always deal with the truth. So if the truth is, I'm not going to do that, I'm only going to give 20% out of this sale of this land, God can work with that. God's pleased with that. What he's not pleased with is somebody who sells something, keeps a portion, and claims they're giving it all. He's not happy with the lie. But Barnabas, not being an example of, of wickedness as we come together like Ananias, Barnabas is an example of Christ-like behavior. That he sells it all and gave it to the poor. I remember uh, reading, I think it was Rich Mullins once, said, you know, everybody talks about being born again because of John chapter 3. You really don't hear a whole lot about sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and follow me. But Jesus said that too. You know? But here's Barnabas, and, and what is he doing? He is living out an example of Christ-like behavior for us as the church, and for the church that was there, and for uh, those that would read Acts, even in Luke's time. He is set up as, here is a person that I can point to. Not just a, a general, oh, all those people over there. No, Here's a guy, if you walk around and you follow him, you will see how he lives. He is an example of Christ-like behavior. Uh, this passage, it reminds me a lot of uh, what Jesus said to the, the rich young ruler. You know, the, how do I get eternal life? Keep the commandments. Kept them all. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Well, that's what Barnabas did. He went, he sold what he had. He sold his possessions. He sold a tract of land. Did he sell everything? Uh, probably not. He, pro he might have had some other stuff laid by. But he sold his tract of land, and he gave it to the poor. 
and he strove to follow Jesus. We know because of the rest of the book of Acts that he becomes a traveling evangelist. What need did he have of that property? There are some people that need property. They need more property and more property. You know, farmers who actually are using it and tilling the ground and growing crops. It's not a bad thing to be a Christian landowner and to build more land if you're using it for God's glory. But some of us don't need it. And that use, that money can be used in better ways. And that's Joseph. He didn't need it. There was more need within Jerusalem, so he sold it. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't hoard it. He sold it, gave it. He's an example for us. Much better example than Ananias. I wish people spent more time looking at Joseph than Ananias. But I guarantee you, you go look and you'll find more sermons about Ananias. I love what, what we're told about Barnabas. First off, that his name is actually Joseph. Now, Joseph, a Levite. Levites hardly even show up in the New Testament. They're, they're mentioned twice in the Gospels, and once of those is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The only other time is some Levites show up with some priests when John the Baptist is preaching. That's it. And then Joseph. He's a Levite of Cyprian birth, so he was born on Cyprus, but we don't know whether his land was in Cyprus or if his land was in Jerusalem or Judea. The Levites were the servants in the temple. They weren't allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. They weren't allowed to offer any sacrifices, but they kept watch on the doors. They sang the music for the worship. They, they took care of cleaning the temple. They, they were servants in the temple, and that's his lineage, whether or not you had to, to, to actually go to the temple and serve as a Levite, that was his lineage. The, the Levites in the Old Testament, they weren't even allowed to own property. Now, let me rephrase that. They were, as, as a tribe, they were not given an inheritance in the land. They have no territory. They, where you had the territory of Dan, you had the territory of Judah, and you had the territory of Benjamin. Levites had no territory. They had cities. They were given cities within the, the nation. And even that was a purpose of that they were to be God's representatives in the different areas of the nation. Not everybody can make it to Jerusalem. Not that they were supposed to be offering sacrifices in there, but they were representative of God. They were representative of Israel, that they were the firstborn. In the sense that every firstborn was dedicated to the Lord. And so before the Levites, what would have happened was everybody's family, everybody's firstborn male wouldn't be your heir, they would be God's heir, and they would go off and serve in the temple. But God set it up that the Levites, because of their actions, uh, their faith and their standing with Moses at, the, at uh, you know, Mount Sinai when uh, the people were worshiping the golden calf, because the Levites stood up with Moses and killed their countrymen who were sinning, because of that, God said, the Levites are mine. So now every firstborn child is redeemed. A sacrifice is made. An offering is made. And instead of that child serving in the temple, the Levites serve in the temple in that child's place. So they, they represented God in the community, but to a certain extent when they went to the temple, they represented the people, the firstborn, the promise. And that's who, that's who Joseph is 
from. So he's, he's a Levite of Cyprian birth. And not only that, we're told he was called Barnabas by the apostles. And then Luke tells us, which translated means son of encouragement. We don't know how he got around to that because bar does mean son. But there's no language where nabas means encouragement or comforter or consolation as some translations have it. The best I can come up with is that nabas might be uh, based off of nabi, which in Hebrew is a prophet. But if he's son of a prophet, why, why son of encouragement? Why would, the, why would the, the, the apostles call him this? And, and I kind of wonder, when did he get this, this nickname? Was it during these first few years? Or, or did he develop this nickname over time through the book of Acts? And Luke is just saying, hey, we're going to, you know, by now we're calling him Barnabas, so he's Barnabas throughout the whole story. The best I can think of is that the way Barnabas lived and the things that he did he operated to a certain extent like a prophet. Just like a, a, a Levite would represent the, you know, God to the people, but also stood in as a, to the people, or in the place of the people to God, as the, the firstborn children of Israel. Barnabas often represented God to other people. He was he's sent out to do things for the church. And, and at times, he is the one who's bringing reconciliation. When the church doesn't trust certain people, he's the one that goes. When, when somebody has had it up, had it with this guy over here, he's the one that says, I'm not done with this guy yet. He, we're not done with him yet. We can still work with him. And he redeems him and even redeems the relationships and binds them together. What we see in Barnabas' life and what we're going to see as we look at him over, throughout July is that he operates in many ways like a prophet. And by doing that, he encourages people. Because what does a prophet do? A prophet proclaims God. Tells people what God has said. Calls the people back to God. Intercedes on behalf of the people to God. And we see Barnabas doing this. What we know about him is that he is an encouragement to those around him. He's an encouragement to the apostles. I picture that he is the type of guy, you know, he's not one of them. He's not one of the 12. He's not called out to be a deacon later on. But he's the guy that when the 12 are saying, hey, we need somebody to do something, Barnabas is the name that comes up in their minds. That he, they trust him. That he helps them. That, that he encourages them. He, he blesses them in his behavior. The word encouragement, son of encouragement, is, is the word that we get a paraclete from. You know, somebody who would, it's, it's the word for an advocate. Somebody who comes alongside of you and, and, and speaks on your behalf. Who, who comforts you and intercedes for you. Oftentimes you'll see this word used to describe the Holy Spirit. Which again is one of those reasons why I think of it in regards to maybe son of the prophets, you know, Barnabas, but really son of encouragement. Because he, he, he encourages us, he supports us, he strengthens us, he makes us better. When I think of Barnabas, it kind of reminds me of that song, If We Are the Body. Why aren't his hands healing? You know, 
that as we are the body, we represent Christ. And what we do is as if Christ is doing it. And Barnabas, as he lived, he is operating as he's a representative of Christ. And as he goes through his life, and what we will see in the book of Acts, that in all the things that he did, Barnabas was a blessing to the people around him. That, that he strengthened them, that he encouraged them, that, that people were better off having been with Barnabas than not. Throughout Acts, you can point to each time he shows up. Whoever he is in the story with, and remember, he's the background character. He's the sidekick. Rarely is he the primary character. But the people that are there are better because of him. What a blessing he is. What a blessing it is to be that to other people. Can you imagine just being the type of person that whoever you're with, when you're done being with them, they are better off. They are better for being in your presence. They are better for walking with you. They are better for hearing you speak and for getting a touch of who you are. And we all need that, don't we? We need those people that we can be around that help us to grow and to be kinder, to, to, to be gentler, to be more courageous at times. Uh, we just finished up Nathan's uh, baseball season finally. And uh, one of the things I, wanted, I told his coach was, you set such an, a good example of, of being positive, even when, quite honestly, it seems like there's nothing to be positive about. Watching some of these games, they, they, they could be pretty brutal. And, and you know, because it's kids, they're learning how to play a game. They're not as good as the pros. I don't know why, but they're not. And, and yet his coach was always positive. And I said, you set such a good example for me. Because I need to be more that way. I need to be more positive. Uh, and it was true. I needed that. Not just the kids. I know she was an example for the kids, but she was an example for me. That's what we need in our lives. And that's what Barnabas was. He was a blessing to the people around him. When he was done with you, you were better off. Even here, he brings and gives his money. And the people are better off because of him. And he sets a good example. Let's not think of Ananias. Let's think of Barnabas. The son of encouragement who, who leaves people feeling better with, when he's done. Now in verse 37, I'm going to jump just, you know, so we have Levite, Joseph, Cyprian birth, son of encouragement, and what does he do? He owned a tract of land, he sold it, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. Such a simple thing, isn't it? Like I said, we don't even see what he said. We just see his actions. He doesn't even seem to be necessarily taking a leadership role. It's just, here you go, guys. Do something good with it. It's a simple thing. And yet, so often in our lives, we have to start out with the simple things, don't we? You have to walk before you can, or you have to crawl before you can walk. You have to walk before you run. You know, the first job that you get might be sweeping a floor. And as you're sweeping the floor and sweeping the floor, then you start learning about this thing, and then you learn about that thing, and the next thing you know, hey, stop sweeping the floor, we need you to do this. And it grows to the point where they hire somebody new to sweep the floor because you've moved up. And the same thing happens in the church. We start off with little things, you know, just greeting people at the door is a little thing, but so important. 
just making sure that the coffee's set up. A little thing, but hey, if, the, if it's not there, somebody needs to do it. One of the first jobs I had really was setting up tables. Set up tables, take down tables. Set up tables, take down tables. I, I like to tell people my first spiritual gift was setting up tables. You know, I still get to do it. But it's in doing those little things that we, we lead into and those little acts of services. As people see that we're faithful in those little things, they start to trust us with more. And that's the case with Barnabas. Because he gave here, because Barnabas serves here, he is entrusted with greater responsibility later on. Because he served and he was wholehearted and he gave everything at this point when it was a small matter, later on we're going to see where the church, when they need to send somebody to check on another city and the church growing in another city to make sure that they're doing well, what do they do? Do they send one of the twelve? No. They send Barnabas. Say, we can trust him. We're going to send Barnabas to go check on that. Because he served in a little way, he gets entrusted with more and greater things down the road. And, and same for us. If, if we're going to be trusted, we have to start small. We have to start doing the little things. And when we prove ourselves trustworthy, then we move up and move forward. And people start saying, hey, I know something else you can do. Barnabas is a great example for us of how we should live, I think. That we could be a people who, when you come around us and you're with us, you're better when you leave. Oh, what a prayer I have for myself in that. Selfish, I think, but still. What a prayer for all of us. And then, as we serve God, don't be upset if the only thing available to you is a little thing. Barnabas started small. It was a small thing, just two verses, really. I had to beef it up, talk about Ananias, had to talk about the church, because Barnabas' bit was just so small. But how important. What a blessing it is. And what we're going to see as we go through the next few weeks, we're going to see how Barnabas' ministry grows and the ways that he blesses people. Well, that's Barnabas. What an exciting, great guy. And I pray for us that we, we might be some encouragers as well in His ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today and we thank You for the examples that are in Scripture. Not just the, 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 the teachings that we have, we thank You for the teachings and the, the, the words that Jesus spoke and, and Paul's writings. But Lord, the example of a life lived in service to You. A life that blessed the people around Him, that blessed the church as a whole. That was an example, Lord, to us. We pray that how we live our lives would be an example of Christ-likeness as well. We pray, Lord, that, that we would be able to, that, that You could point people in our direction and say, you're going to learn more about Christ and about being like Christ by being with these people. We pray, Lord, that we would be a blessing to one another. That we would be better off for being around each other. And that the people in our neighborhoods would be better off because they know us. And Lord, we pray that, 
that even in that, we might want to start off grand. Help us to to be faithful in the small things first, Lord. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name today.